G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to Footyology. This is the round five preview edition and uh, what an epic round this is going to be. And I mean epic as in elongated, five straight days of football. As I say a very good morning to my co-host Mark Fine. Good morning Rowan, why not have a burger for breakfast? Well, I know that the big chain does it, but Andrew's open pretty early. They're up and about by 10.30 and you can get the best burger in Australia. Hang on, you mean Andrew's Hamburgers in Bridport Street, Albert Park? Well, you can't just go to somebody's place called Andrew and ask for a hamburger. Well, you could, but you'd probably get a a frosty reception. Oh, you won't get a great burger. You won't get one of the old-fashioned specials that is 80 years old in the making, not in the produce. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street. Albert Park. Oh, I haven't eaten yet. I might be straight there. Now, very quickly before we get into it, uh, five days. This is where the season starts getting a bit problematic for me. We've got a round that takes far longer to um, complete than will be the gap between the previous round and this round or this round and the next round. And it, it throws everything out for me. I'm not sure I like it. I think there's 10 or 11 consecutive days of football with one day off in, in the middle. Too much? Oh, enough for a very good ad by Fox Football, where they have some of the leading footballers pleading with football fans to observe the day off and not ignore the family. Well, as long as I don't have to look at Dermot Burton's nipples again, they can do whatever they like. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's get straight into it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Oh, I'm going to throw this to you, Finey. What's caught your eye news-wise uh, over the last week? Certainly not Dermot's nipples that you're now fixated upon. Uh, the big story in sport in Australia, of course, is the text by Israel Folau. And we can now couch it in AFL terms because two footballs, footballers, Gary Ablett and Matthew Kennedy of Geelong and Carlton respectively, pressed like on their Twitter feed, giving the thumbs up to the Falau message. Now, now, hang on, just before you go any further, we should say the the wash-up of that is they're not, they're not going to be sanctioned no, in any no, way. No, but they are now open to judgment in the court of public opinion. I think Damien Barrett was the first to bring up, quite rightly, that this should be a please explain at least. I mean, you can't press like and be be um, ignorant to the to the ramifications and there are ramifications it, look I'm not of this world but you are and once you <laughs> yeah, go on well, what does that mean well you're heavily involved in Twitter you're heavily involved in all of these forms of social media but yeah. a like is as far as I'm concerned the imprimatur the stamp that says that I am especially in controversial cases like this, I will be counted as 
pro. Now, yeah, I, I'm uh, just to further that. I'm, I know some people who on their Twitter avatars will say retweets, not an endorsement. I think if you say something like that, yes, uh, you're entitled to then plead that as a defence. But a like is different. That's and, a tick. And that That's is a, a tick. That is a tacit endorsement. Yeah. Okay. Just quickly on the Israel Folau text, that now will be part of a legal challenge by Israel Folau. And to be honest, call me um, inattentive, but I actually hadn't read it for quite a few days until two or three days ago. And when I saw it, I was taken by how of, of a um, mother statement it was. It covered just about every person on the planet. And interestingly, I don't think... He or Ablett or Kennedy, especially he and Ablett, who are who are iconic footballers in their codes, understand the final hell-bound visitor, an idolater, because an idolater is somebody who who you know makes false idol of of man. And I would have thought everybody with a Gary Ablett poster in their bedroom or an Israel Folau Australian Wallaby Guernsey comes under the banner of idolater. So next time Gary signs a footy card for a kid or Izzy Falau signs the back of somebody's Guernsey, they're idolaters, people. So, but let's, I'll just play devil's advocate here. I mean, obviously... The oh, well, po- so you are involved now with Israel because, of course, as devil's advocate, <laughs> yeah. you will be welcoming many of these people. Uh, unfortunate analogy, perhaps. But um, <laughs> for those who, you know, claim the free speech argument, now I'm not talking about Falau here. Let's talk about Ablett and Kennedy. Have they, do you think, contravened the um, uh, regulations by which they are part of the AFL? They have. In fact, they these, there's a, a case to be made that the statement by Israel Folau it contravenes freedom of state freedom uh, freedom of speech anyhow because freedom of speech is very carefully worded in current statutes as not to impinge on the rights of other people and not to enter into the dangerous world of racism, sexism, etc. So you the AFL certainly has policies regarding that you cannot have you cannot possibly have a tolerance game between St Kilda and the Swans each year and have two players giving the thumbs up to the notion that all homosexuals are hellbound so why haven't they been sanctioned because of i think the disconnect that the AFL is allowing between the like button on a twitter feed and the dangerous world that they would enter if they sanctioned them, because... Do you think they're also scared of upsetting the Christian community? Possibly, but they should be more scared of upsetting drinkers, idolaters, homosexuals, heathens, and just about everything else that most people qualify for. And you know what? What stands out here is because there seems to be he listed homosexuals first. He has definitely, in his now quite um, fundamentalist Christian views, one of those people who, from the pulpit, Israel Folau, damns homosexuals to hell. Now we just don't live in that world. No. You cannot have, you cannot have a competition that welcomes everybody, let alone AFLW, with that overlay so if an AFL player sent that tweet 
then I would expect them to be in serious trouble. And I just wonder whether it's any different to like it. There's a, a, they must have, they should have been asked to explain what their position is. There's a real, you know, it, it's always, I mean, I don't want to get into too philosophical an argument about this, but it's always struck me that the most sort of evangelical type of Christian zealots are so often the people who, and I'm not talking about Gary Ablett and Matthew Kennedy here, but they're so often the people whose actions and behaviours are so uh, at odds with the allegedly Christian philosophy. And I'm speaking about some parliamentarians there, really. Uh, And certainly the history of the Christian right, which is such a powerful lobby group and, and voice in the United States, has many of their preachers caught in compromising positions and that is the sort of hypocrisy that makes the whole thing just ridiculous. Well, it also makes it a fascinating psychological study, doesn't it? I mean, it's, you know, the more you the more you sin, the more it seems the more you seek to uh, be vocal about your opposition to um uh to what? Uh supposedly immoral activity. Look, the Bible is a long tome and just very simply you can live by the ethos, love thy neighbour as you love thyself, and which would contradict hating, being a hater, or you can pick, you know, you can cherry pick elements of the Bible and end up hating everybody. But which that, is what they all do. But you could also, if you cherry pick the Bible, offer offer a cow or a, a fatted calf to your next door neighbour for their underage daughter. So we can't, and you can't. It's in there. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So let's not just let's let's just understand and I heard it explained well this week by a theologian that there is the context of time and place and that he hoped that all Christians today understood that we have moved on from the time of Jesus and not everything in the Bible can literally be translated to today as a reason to point a finger at somebody and say that you're hellbound, that he viewed Christianity as far more inclusive now and looking at the Bible's more gentle approach to welcoming people into the fold rather than saying you're going to hell because of the way you think or act. No, here, here. I, I agree with everything you've said. All right, um, just one other thing I wanted to bring up. It's topical, obviously. We now have football on Good Friday, but uh, Brian Taylor sort of waded into this, didn't he, by basically dumping on North Melbourne's right to be the main participant in the Good Friday game. Maybe not today, but we can look at why even controversial radio or TV figures go that extra step in a podcast. Now... This was done on BT in a BT podcast, and Bargs. Was it want, their Herald Sun one? Was it? It was a podcast. Yeah, Bargs. If you want to get in the top ten, you just do what we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he'll, <laughs> he'll, I, like, he'll like that. Well, I just want to say it's, it's a, such a stupid comment. It is. It is. It's, I, not, it's not. It's North's home game. Yeah, there'll be a big crowd there because Essendon supporters will make sure there's a big crowd. That. Just leave it alone. I mean, what what number will please him? Uh, yeah, no. I, I, I know it hasn't been predicated on history, giving North this game, but uh, by my reckoning, they've earned it. 
by right of history. They were pioneers in terms of Friday night football back in the mid-80s. And they've been a club that's always, I think, been very proactive in seeking to not only further their own cause by, you know, taking their brand around various parts of the country, but um, football's cause and and the league's cause. And uh, I, th- I think, you know, we... The smaller clubs, in inverted commas, you know, they're constantly fighting the established powerhouses for a, a slice of the of the pie, and I, th- I think it's the least North deserve for their efforts over um, the course of thirty five odd years. So yeah, I, I I think in retrospect, he'd regret saying it. What well, hope he would? I doubt it. Um- don't think there's too many regrets in the footlocker of 1BT, but it's a myopic statement because, uh, yeah, on face value, if you're trying to maximise crowds and uh, play, you know, play servant to the master that is the TV broadcaster, then on a one-off basis, yes, you would not play North Melbourne in such a game. But actually, in on that basis, you wouldn't play North Melbourne at all, or many of the other clubs. North Melbourne need to survive. They need to be a club that flourishes. And actually, the rationalist, the economic rationalist, would say that the long-term picture, the, the end game, requires teams like North Melbourne to have these marquee games. And in fact, the saturation of a team like Essendon or Collingwood, especially on this game, which is not far away from Anzac Day. Now, it's fine that Essendon's playing North. But what's he saying? Because he, ultimately the best crowd would be Essendon and Collingwood. Mm. Well, that's stupid. You want Essendon and Collingwood on Good Friday before Anzac Day, that would just dilute Anzac Day. It'd have to be the MCG. You wouldn't play it anywhere else. It's their home grounds. Well, you have oh, to. Well, it's Collingwood's home ground, but Essendon would play there in a big game. So it's a stupid, it's a stupid final argument. If you're just saying, in the end, the two biggest draw cards should play, well, that, that doesn't work. Yeah, or well, plus, I mean, how does a smaller club become a bigger draw card other than to be given opportunities like this? But there's also a fixture. Essendon can't play Collingwood seven times during the year. Yeah, yeah, uh, probably just as well for the Bombers, to be honest. All right, that's uh, enough of the news. Let's get on to our next segment. On Footyology, Media Watch. All right, uh, well... There was um, some interesting feedback to what we talked about last week in Media Watch Finey, but uh, we did say we were going to leave it there, and uh, that's what we're going to do. I have had some interesting conversations with people about it, but uh, I think uh, we need to move on with football media as a whole entity rather than just talking about ourselves. So I had a couple of things on the agenda. Um, one I wanted to bring up was we've talked a few times about uh, the plethora of football TV shows, of which there are 18 this year. Still. There is, yeah, none of them no have the top yet, uh, which might surprise a few people who've seen one of them in particular. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not just going to hang up the guts to be, you know, to be held up as the one to be X. There's a couple of other shockers. Okay, name it. I, I can't because the same guy's on one of them. <laughs> Go on, Finey. Well, that quiz that they do. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Um, what's that called again? <laughs> what's that called? I don't know. It's, it's sort of a... a uh, Carl can look it up while we it's, continue it's a, to it's talk. A comedi- it's, they've got, it's gone from being a quiz to a, a tool for comedians. 
you know, it's it's all comedian tools. It's sort of a set. The beep test. Yeah, the beep test. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah. Enough of the negativity. I wanted to give a big pat on the back to on the couch. Um. Which I've waxed and waned on this over the years, and they've had various different panelists, and it's sort of changed in nature. I mean, when it started, it was a basically just a transplant of talking footy. And it was uh, Jared Healy, Mike Sheehan, and I've now forgotten the third member of that original panel. But it was, you know, two footy experts and a media guy. And then gradually the balance shifted towards, you know, former players turned commentators. And then they increased the panel and uh, it's a four-man panel now. So the current... um, incarnation of it is Jared Healy, Jonathan Brown, Gary Lyon and Paul Roos. And I, I watched it a couple of times last year, but I sort of decided to invest in at least one footy show this year and, and started watching it. And I've been really impressed with it. Now, why do I like it? I like it because it is a pretty analytical show, um, but it doesn't do it in a really self-conscious manner. So, you know, I think Fox Footy have tried a couple of shows over the years, um, which have been very self-consciously okay. This is a this is a Footy Heads analysis show, so we're going to have all lots of whiz bang graphics and sets and little X's and circles and stuff all over the place, and it it's a bit wanky. What I like about this is it's just four guys sitting on couches, and they go through the games. You know, pretty much every game, but not not in a very formal fashion. But every game they do discuss and every team they do discuss, there's something interesting about that. They will use stats, but they're relevant stats. They're not, you know, they don't make your eyes glaze over, so they don't overdo it. And uh, the footage, I think they're using a bit less footage this year, but it's more judiciously used. So when you see a clip, it is really backing up a point that one of the panellists is making. And they seem to be having fewer uh, guest interviews, which I think is a great thing because unless it's a really big-ticket guest, and even, to be honest, when, when it's a senior coach now, they, they're in the media so often. They, they don't often have a lot to say that you haven't heard before. So I've just found myself, you know, the first episode I thought, oh, look, I'll watch this and just see if it tells me anything that I can find useful. And every week there's been three or four things that I've found very useful and have added to my knowledge of particular uh, clubs and the way they play and, you know, the use of stats that we don't have access to and that's something I'm going to bring up soon. Um, But I, I just... It's got a low-key feel about it, but I, I feel like it's really informative. I think Jared's a good host. Um, you know, I think Jonathan Brown plays up the sort of tough guy role, but he still has some good points to make. Uh, Gary Lyon is a very good analyst of the game, and Paul Roos, you know, comes from that coach's perspective, which I think is, you know, they've all there's a, a point of difference between them all. And I've just found it really entertaining. And I've found as I've watched it, the time, um, which is always a good guide, you know, the time has gone really quickly. I haven't sort of been looking at my watch going, oh, come on, come on, get on with it. So um, pat on the back to everyone involved with On The Couch. I think it's a, a the sort of footy show that people really um, 
want and uh, I think football needs because we've talked a lot about the saturation content in football media now, but how much of it is actually quality. And I think on the couch is quality. Talking footy and on the couch, uh, they've got longevity and they are basically uh, football programs for keen followers of the game. I find them a little bit disingenuous when one of the either panellists on either show brings up a topic for discussion from a game that they were at that they didn't comment on whilst commentating. So I think it works best when they say, look, this is the issue, and you watch footage and you hear that same commentator, you know, incredulous at the time or pointing out something at the time, because otherwise... And I know, and we know how these things works. Work. It really becomes something that a producer has laid on a plate for a particular panelist mm. to run with. It is easy to miss stuff at the time during a game. Yeah, then it should be brought up in a different way. But they are brought up first person. You know, I saw this. I thought this. Okay, be honest. If you didn't, then say this has, you know, come. This has come to our attention. Mm. I just like when they follow up something that they've done and seen during the game. And that's okay. If they don't notice it during the game, then say post-game, etc. There's in the past been a lack of that level of honesty, but I find that on the couch is genuine with that. Three of the four panellists have long won me over. Jared Healy, I've been a fan of. I, I trust what he says. He's It's like but, Brian Naylor. Yeah, he's been, he's been, at, it for, he's been at it for a long time. Shows. He says a lot of things over the years, and they add up. Yeah. So he's won me. Ruse won me very early on in his football commentary, in his special comments career. He's a coach. He gives the inside of a coach, inside of a coach perfectly, I think. Mm. And Gary Lyon won me over a long time ago. Mm. In a footy sense, he's, as you say, very, very credible. And I think you also pointed out that Jonathan Brown's not there yet, that you need to shed what the expectation of you is as one of the game's toughest, bravest men. Put that to one side. Don't always err on the side of favouring a player when talking about match review panel stuff. Don't always, you know, have a fondness for the biffo and the way it used to be. In fact, we never was when you were playing anyhow, mate. Maybe when your dad was playing. But he's yet to win me over. That being said, um, he, it's there. It's there. He, it, it's a limit, he needs to distill it. It's a limited role, that, isn't it? And I think he maybe he's sort of recognising that himself. And I, I've found this season he's made some really uh, prescient sort of comments. Yeah, I'm saying it's there. Yeah. Just distill it from the showmanship. All right. Now, I mentioned uh, fewer interviews on, on the couch. You said today in media what you wanted to talk about interviews. We go nowhere with player interviews in Australian rules football. They are basically worthless, whether they're straight after the game or in the week after the game. So what are the, what are the standard responses by a footballer? Well, that was a great game, uh, Rowan. You were fantastic this week. Uh, it was a much-needed win for, um, you know, Bannockburn. But your own form, fantastic. Uh, great game at centre-half back, Rowan. Oh, yeah, thanks, mate. But, you know, look, I'm, I'm really just uh, grateful to my teammates um, for their support. You know, we, uh, I'm not interested in talking about individuals. Uh, we're, we're a team and I, I couldn't have done it without their support. 
So I could basically interview anybody from the game. I, I didn't need to speak to you. I'll speak to you when you have a shit game next time and tell you that because there's no use getting you on, Rowan, when Bannockburn win and you play well. Now, let's swap Rowan Conley for Rowan Marshall. Rowan Marshall had ended can't football, spell his name. Ended football Just the – or you can't – ended football the – um, less obvious route. He played for North Ballarat. He wasn't drafted as an elite youngster. Uh, he came to St Kilda as a backman from North Ballarat, tried out as a forward, and availability and the clearance of Tom Hickey has given him an opportunity, which he looks very capable of taking, and had his breakout game in the win over Hawthorne. McAvoy and Segler are a tough combination, and he clearly bested them. Um, did he win the medal? He was wearing something around his neck. Yeah, I was at the game and I didn't. I can't the remember silk, now. You know, I think it would have been. Wouldn't it have been um, Seb Ross, wouldn't it? Maybe. Did they all get him in Daniel? Okay. Anyhow, he was close. He was in the best players. And of course, in the aftermatch interview, the question was, you know, what a fantastic breakout game it was, and what a great effort. It, this really springboard to a career here for you, and it is. That game was literally worth hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to Rowan because he's quickly establishing himself as a long-term prospect with great earning capability. And then he comes up and says, he just wants to say the team thing, you know. Oh, look, no, no, no. It was all about the win. And he said, I couldn't have done it without the midfield. Now, that doesn't make sense for a Ruckman. I can understand a, a modest midfielder saying I couldn't have done it without the Ruckman, but the game starts, he's a first respondent. Yeah, but they're um, capitalising yeah. on his hit-out work makes people notice his role more. Well, that's what he's saying. But the reality is, you know, he beat McAvoy in the ruck. He didn't do it by using Seb Ross as a stepladder, physically getting up on top of him and you know, countering some shortfalls in inches by using somebody else to jump. It is so... This faux modesty. Mm. And it is faux. It'll be... He'll be the same in the team meetings and whatever, you know, but when the guys are together in an informal atmosphere, everybody will, you know, they are, just be normal. Just yeah, be yeah. normal and say yeah, I was going it was to say, a great you game. You don't have to go to the other extreme and be the American sportsman who's, you know, yeah. sort of too uh, confident in his own abilities. I don't think that washes well with the public. You know, you just, I'd like to hear him, it's, I'd like to know what he thought facing an informed player like McAvoy with all of McAvoy's experience, you know, whether he got any advice from any St Kilda people, because McAvoy, of course, had a long time at St Kilda, mm. and how he went past dismantling not just McAvoy but Segler. So, yeah. But I, we've got none of that because the midfield did it. Well, you wonder if it's, is it the media training he's getting or is it just his natural inclination? Somewhere along the line, footballers got told you don't give the opposition the slight, ammunition. slightest ammunition. So don't recognise that you beat McAvoy because you'll play him again. Yeah, that's a very Just, 1980s sort of view, isn't it? Well, they still hold it. Yeah. Don't ever say anything negative about a football team because Kevin Shady will cut the article out, put it on the door before they run out and you'll cost your team a game. Well, maybe they'll stop doing that once newspapers stop being printed, which can't be too far away. It makes the players running out to a soundbite of... You know, off a podcast. Yes. <laughs> I thought I thought Ziggler was crap. I thought Ziggler was crap. Well, thought... It gives us hope. Maybe yeah, we yeah. maybe we should ramp up, do some audio clickbait. <laughs> now, I want to finish with this one. Um, I probably, in a way, we should have gone with this first. This really worries me. So, um, I I like stats. I, I look at them a lot to sort of back up 
uh, conclusions I come to, and I, I've got a variety of sources. Um, no worries, King. <laughs> yeah, context, context. There's always context. Um, and I've listened to him this year. It's very unfair. He makes he makes plenty of game game worthy observations without stats. Yes. I said that as a joke. All right. Yeah, I'm sure he'll forgive you for that. Um, He's very good. No, I I use several different websites, and uh, a lot of people know them well. Footy Wire and AFL Tables are two of my favourites. I I, uh, subscribe to Champion Data, and I I pay the guys at Champion money, and I get stats from them. uh, Advanced stats? Well, they're not that advanced, but they're more than you get in the sort of major media outlets, so uh, and I'm grateful for that. But I also use the AFL, or have used the AFL website a lot, particularly for team stats. Now, I noticed uh, they've had that many revamps of the website and whatever, but uh, I noticed they sort of revamped it again. And now when you get on the stats page, you've got all the player stuff sort of coming at you first. And the team stats have been down the bottom, which doesn't worry me at all, but they've been set up like to look like a ladder, and there's a whole list. There's been a list of, I reckon, close to thirty odd different statistical categories you can you can alter. So you know they don't all display at once. But if there's one you really want, you get rid of another one and put that one in. Um, I use that frequently, and I used it. I'm, I'm sure I used it as recently as about, well, even the start of this week. Anyway, yesterday I went to look up something on it, and hello, it's changed. And when I say it's changed, it's been gutted. So if I'm wrong here, uh, apologies in advance, but I, I don't think I am. So now the stats that the team stats grid shows have been reduced to kicks, handballs, disposals, marks, hitouts, free kicks for and against, goals and behinds, and the ubiquitous fantasy points, um, which tells me a bit. And so I saw that and I thought, okay, well, I want to find centre bounce clearances. No, no option to use other statistical categories. And then just, you know, by the by, I thought, oh, well, let's order them. You can't even order them now from uh, highest to lowest or vice versa. And I thought, hang on, that's, that's pretty ordinary, isn't it? Like, there's a lot of fans who like to drill down pretty deeply into stats and apparently someone was saying oh you can still do it for players well I don't want individual players I'm worried about what teams are doing and just I don't know I'm putting two and two together here but it seems to me to be all sort of geared towards fantasy football which of course has a uh, a monetizing sort of motive behind it and that really worries me and then I thought about it I thought oh I don't mind the AFL website but then I thought well, what else has disappeared by stealth with, without us sort of knowing about it? And then I remembered that, I'm sure this is only two or three years ago, they had a thing called Smart Replay. So a day after a game, you can get on and not just watch the replay, but actually go to pivotal events like a goal or a free kick or someone. So you could break down someone's individual game and look at all their involvements. And it was fantastic resource and I looked that up and that's no longer there either so you can watch a highlights package or replay the full game or quarter by quarter but you can't actually go to specific events so that's another function that's been lost to the hardcore AFL fan and I just wondered you know how many others are there and how come this is always by stealth it's like they're trying to sneak it through without anyone making a song and dance about it and I've got to be honest I think 
you know, if you're the official AFL website and there are other unofficial websites that have more statistical information than yours, that's a pretty bad look. Now, just assuming it's not a glitch, because glitches do happen, so it might reappear tomorrow and everything that you've said whilst worthwhile. And if that's the case, I will uh, I will observe that next week. I'm saying, so if it's not a glitch, it sounds to me, it feels to me like another attempt to monetise something and the, my one of my pet hates is to monetise something that we had previously received free of charge and become uh, sort of... Um, not reliant on, but in some cases reliant, but in many cases we enjoyed. It goes back to Homer Simpson when he was walking through the mail and he was offered a donut, a free donut, and he gobbled it up and then went to take more and the woman said, no, 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 you have to buy them now. It's X dollars for a six-pack. And he goes, oh, that's typical. Get me hooked and then hike up the price. Uh, So that's been going on. The satirist got that two decades ago. I will say this. Those fantasy points are central to some champion data operation and playing certain fantasy games and there is an income stream available for that. Now, at the moment, you can read them because they are points and you know who scored most points, don't you? Mm. I've got some bad news for you, Rowan. What? Enough people play it and it becomes monetised. They will then realise that by issuing numbers, you know, from 143 to 38 is makes it transparent for everybody and they will want their ratings only to be accessible to people who play the game at a accept you know at a agreed fee so i'm just warning you five years from now when you look up what would have been mcdonald tip and woody's game last week you know what he would have rated what two unicorns a rainbow unicorn <laughs> and a powered up four corn unicorn which he can use transferable in the next game. That sounds like a PS4 game or something. I thought you were going to say they'd just number them all. So I thought that'd be great for Melbourne supporters. Go, go number 37. You know, it'll, it'll take on extra meaning. It'll be them. better for you. One more goal and his unicorns go rainbow. <laughs> that's, like, that's like Pokemon um, or Chim Pokemon in the South Park uh, piss take of that show. All right, that's enough for me to watch. Let's move on. On Footyology, previews. With punch. All right, uh, marathon round starts at the Gabba uh, tonight. We're recording this Thursday morning, seven thirty-five local time. I will be there, finally. I'm on a uh, a plane out of this town to go up to the Gabba for the game for three AW, and really looking forward to it. It's um, it's got a real uh, buzz about it. I reckon Brisbane, obviously, playing better footy, and Collingwood we're pretty confident, are going to be right in the mix. And they're also famously a pretty good side on the road, plus the added spice of Dane Beams playing for his old side against his other old side. And they're predicting a sellout, sort of a biggest crowd since quite a long time ago, since the good old days. Yeah. So what's going to happen? Well, first of all, you're going to need to start improving because it's 21-16 in tips. Mm. Now, come on, pull your finger out. No, That's no, no good. Actually, stay behind me. It's better like that. Okay. Brisbane Collingwood, what a good game this is. Now, Brisbane had the loss that a lot of people expected them to have. Football can go for a young, improving team in... Oh, you are 17? Yeah. Okay, no, that's good, because I thought you were. Yeah. And you gave yourself one less So I'm week. 17, you're 21. Oh, correct, 21, 17. That's good. Okay. That's, that's what I had. To do. Go on, get on okay, with it. Okay, 21, 17. Now, listen... 
just because that was the loss that they were supposed to Talking have. Talking la- microphone. That was the loss that a lot of people thought they were going to have last week, and it was sort of timely and allows them to regroup. Does not mean that they automatically win this week. Now, mm-hmm. this is a testing opponent, and Collingwood's season will officially be spluttering if they don't beat Brisbane, mm. but they're just too good. Why are they too good? We know that they've got midfield depth. We understand that. But we do need to appreciate that that midfield can kick goals. And Brisbane's forward line is still pop gun, isn't it? I mean, Hipwood went from excellent two weeks ago to invisible again Mm. this week. And it does coincide playing better teams with better back lines and better structures out of the middle anyhow. And and I think Essendon probably demonstrated that Neil can play a good game and it doesn't it's not the end of the world because they got outgunned basically. I mean Neil had a forty plus possession game but had pretty limited impact on it, really. Yeah. I think the Brisbane forward line nominally McInerney and Hipwood is quite similar sort of to Cox and Myacek. You know, a yeah. t- a tall, awkward lad and a player that can sometimes and doesn't always take those as a levelling out and Collingwood win because they've just got too much firepower elsewhere. Uh, agree. Yeah, Collingwood for me as well. Okay, Good Friday. Two Good Friday games. Uh, the first at Marvel Stadium, 4.20pm local time. The Roos up on the Good Friday stage again. Everyone will be sitting back uh, if they're not at the game watching this over some hot cross buns. And Essendon making their debut on a good Friday. Both won last week. Uh, Essendon now on a decent roll. And the ruse breaking the ice. What happens? Oh, I'm surprised you... No, I want you to go first. All right. Um, I think Essendon have turned the corner. Um, I think their first half against Brisbane was as good a half of footy as I've seen them play for a long long time. I think they've got the balance right between offence and defence. Um, the forward line is functioning pretty well and yes, McDonald Tip and Woody fantastic, but don't underestimate the impact that Mitch Brown had last week with a phenomenally hard working game. I've become a real Mitch Brown fan. I think he's important to that forward setup. So uh, no need to rush Joe back? No, no, I don't think so. Um, and we're saying this before the teams are named, obviously. I, I don't think he'll go straight in. Um, and Essendon's midfielders are really uh, pulling their weight now, which wasn't happening in the first two games. I think they've got a more even midfield spread than the Roos, who are very Sean Higgins-centric these days, uh, with all due respect to Ben Cunnington, but Higgins is the class actor that midfield. Ben Brown probably turned the corner, four goals. So it was a good effort from him. Um, the records at, at Marvel are interesting. Like Essendon has a pretty good record at Marvel of recent times, but did lose its first game there this season. And North are sort of 50-50 there. So they're, yeah, they're, I don't think the ground constitutes much of an advantage for either side. Uh, I think Essendon's run might be handier at the MCG than at Marvel. But I think the Dons are in good enough form to win this. And the Roos won last week, but you know it was a pretty low standard game. So I'm not sure how much of a fillip that gives them. Yeah, it was an exercise in pulling teeth watching that game because Adelaide were terrible and North was so inaccurate. If North were accurate, if North... It wasn't... Once they go one nine, and their next two shots of goal were players running in from 40 metres and the ball never got there. Mm. 
So one nine didn't even tell the whole tale. Essendon are one good win away from being a solid team again. Yep. You know, they lost a lot of uh, fans in those first two weeks. They were really flat and unimpressive. That's okay. Late start of the season. And won't be remembered if they keep on going. So Essendon play for momentum and also for thrusting themselves into the into the game. This is almost entry level for them. Two and two literally for them means season starts now. The season ends for North Melbourne, by the way, if they lose to Essendon. And that's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm tipping the Bombers as well. Okay, next game, West Coast, also on Good Friday. West Coast taking on Port Adelaide. Optus Stadium, 6.10 local time, 8.10 Eastern Seaboard time. I'm just determined to keep using that phrase, Eastern Seaboard. Is this a Port Adelaide home game? Uh, why are you saying that? Oh, because isn't Coxie a genius? Doesn't he have all special games? You know, he, no, no, they play away, they're at home, and home's away, and everything's... That's Shanghai. Now, what happens? Oh, what happens? You know what, I, you know what everybody thinks will happen. Mm. Of course, football's beautiful because... Sometimes we are given huge surprises. Are we going to get a huge surprise late on Good Friday here in Melbourne? Uh, what time does this game start at after eight o'clock? I just said eight uh, six, saying, six ten local time. Yeah, so that's uh, I'm going to be confused whether it's three or two hours, but two hours. So it's two hours again. Yeah, so it's after eight o'clock, and uh, that's a long day for the kids. Talk about the kids on Good Friday. Yeah, they're going to see West Coast really. They, they enjoy playing, obviously, at Optus. They will see a West Coast team, apart from, apart from Jack Darling, that is headed form-wise in exactly the same way as last year with unlikely players playing key roles and you scratching your head and thinking, why did this guy, Liam Ryan, what, mm. what's he doing getting through to Pick nine million. Uh, Lewis Jetta probably back this week too. And geez, I like that guy Petrocelli. Geez, quick. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm <laughs> very tempted. I'm very tempted. I'm do that every week. Too. I'm very tempted to hunt down this Petrocelli and cruelly, you know, drive over his foot in my car just to slow him down for one week. They got other good players. Shepard, how good's he? He's yeah, come he's back. Very good. Late start to the season. Should I he's do leading, that line? He's leading the brown line. Should I do that line about him being a great? Guitarist as well. Well, I think a shepherd on Good Friday is apt. Ah, yes, very good. I, I tell you, seriously, one thing I like about the Eagles that they're able to win in various ways. So, like the Derby was a real, or Derby if you're Western Australian, was a real grind, you know. But they can win in a tough slog, and they can win in a open game as well. I think they're, you know, they're really. They're able. They're a much more adaptable side right. than they used to be. All right, we should have commented on on this when talking about Collingwood. Collingwood's game against the Bulldogs had some similarities to the West Coast game in that both these teams have got gears, and they got stuck a bit clunky in their lower gears in both of these games. Mm. But they have somewhere better. They have somewhere better in every game that they can get to, and that is a worry for any team playing them. It's almost as though you played West Coast or Brisbane and you're level, you've got the Tiger by the tail. Look, I don't think Port are without a chance here, but they would they would need to get back to the sort of run they were generating in that first win of a season against Melbourne. And look, they've, they've now lost their last two. They haven't been shocking losses, I don't think. I mean, they lost to Brisbane up at the Gabba narrowly and, and were in front very, very late in the piece. Richmond... 
it, it doesn't look great because the Tigers were without so many. But that was a, a pretty rare sort of win by the Tigers. And I think, um, you know, in come the end of a season, losing to Richmond even at home might not be seen as that bad a, a loss. So I think Porter, you know, it's not like they've fallen off a cliff. No, but recent history shows that they can parlay a bad fortnight into a bad season. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, that's true. And they do, uh, I think the biggest sort of question mark about them is their sort of mental resilience. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair guide. So we're both going for West Coast, correct? I am. And I am as well. Uh, all right, let's get on to the next game. And it is the highly anticipated, he said, somewhat facetiously, match between GWS and Fremantle in Canberra. Uh, it's the Giants' first Canberra game of the season, one forty-five Saturday afternoon. They're hard to beat in Canberra. They love playing there. I think they were good in Canberra before they were good at Spotless. They has Fremantle ever played there? Uh, I think they might have. I think they might have. But um... I just, I just have an image of the team bus. From the airport, everybody going, you turn left here. No, right there. I, I don't know where it is. Where's the ground? It's like Spinal Tap getting lost on stage. Yeah, and I think that might be lost when they get there. Fife is expected to return. No hamling impacts directly on a team that has had a good result out of not just the obvious Jeremy Cameron, but also Finn Lawson. GWS will are now being taken seriously again. Oh, it's a fantastic win. I mean, that win in Geelong would be one of the two or three best wins in their history. Yeah, and I and I particularly like the makeup of the team, as I've pointed out previously. A team needs to a football team to have needs to have warts. You know, the beautiful prince invariably doesn't win this game. It needs to have character, and it has that character now. We saw that, and unfortunately, Fremantle on long road trips, have shown not to have such good character. Yeah, so, no. So, G, you know, I, I say GWS does this. They simply are conscientious and they win the game, and I think they're at that point. Yeah, so what do you think they'll win by? Oh, 38 points. I, I, I think this will... <laughs> I, I just had a look at your tip. I swear I did not look at that. Oh, yeah, no, I said 38 points. I mean, it has Jinx. to be... Has the potential to be a smashing this. I mean, they're really... Gee, Fremantle disappoint me. Once every... Once in a blue moon, they'll pull out this sort of... As they did against North in round one. And they look, you know, they've got some run and they're exciting and they're kicking goals. And then it's like the moment you think, oh, gee, they might be all right. It's like they flick the switch back to grinding dour. How about the world's strangest forward line last week? Tabitha was great. He took some wonderful contested marks. His kicking let him down. He was flanked by the two least able deputies I've ever seen. Who was that? Oh, mate, Hogan. I forgot. He, I didn't know he was playing until the ball fell in his hand by mistake once. And who was the other one? McCarthy. Not Schultz. McCarthy. Yeah. Who's now trying various haircuts to be noticeable rather than getting the ball. They say they might play Hogan at centre-half back. Okay. Yeah. I'd play him back of centre, but that far back of centre from Canberra, I'd play him, I'd play him west, you know, Dubbo out through Broken Hill. I'd play him back of Alice Springs. I'd play him back in Perth. I don't think Dubbo's back of uh, centre. I think it's sort of more yeah, yeah, in you're the right. grandstand. It's on the, but the I'm Western saying, grandstand. I'd play, you know, I wouldn't play him centre-half back. I'd play him back in Perth in the waffle. All right, we're both going for GWS comfortably. Next, now this is a um, appetising 
contest. Melbourne, St Kilda, MCG, Saturday Twilight. Don't like that time slot, but it's still a good game. 4.35 local time. Uh, Melbourne, um, pretty impressive beating Sydney up at Sydney. Now, we don't know about the Swans, so you know maybe in time it won't be seen as such a great win, but I think they got their mojo back. I think they started to capitalise on, on Max Gorn's dominance a bit better. Uh, could get some players back too. Neville Jetta, uh, Jordan Lewis, a chance to come in. Jay Lockhart, um, only young, but he could come back as well. Wasn't Jay Lockhart, didn't Jay Lockhart play the mother in Lost in Space? I can't remember, to be honest. It was June Lockhart. Uh, which one was Billy Mummy? He prefers Mummy. That was Will Robinson. Oh, Will Robinson. But her initials are Jay Lockhart. All right, let's, June t- Lockhart. let's talk about the game. Um, great win for the Saints. Against warning, the, warning. Great win for the Saints against the Hawks. Um, Affirmative. Who admittedly did have... Don't spend the rest of the show doing that. No, this is pretty good. Uh, did, did spend... Um, oh, you, you do it. What's going to happen? Come on. Well, I think... Melbourne's forward line is danger, danger, no. Priest may or may not play. Now, that's a big difference to me in my tip. Yeah, yeah, he was good for him. Yeah, because I want him to play as a St Kilda supporter. I, well, <laughs> he I was just, good last week. Yeah, well, there's a reason why you don't play six foot nine Ruckman in forward lines on the MCG. Yeah. At the SCG, I think it's a good place yeah, to yeah, play. Yeah. Well, I like the idea of St Kilda's run. Jetta comes back of the... Neville variety, important player for Melbourne, mm. especially with St Kilda's got a few dangerous small forwards. Gee, I'd like to see the team. Does Jack Stephen get back on the field? Important in for St Kilda if he does, of course. Is Jaron Geary an important inclusion if he's back? I but presume he will be. He was ill last week. He is the captain after all. Yeah. Well, uh, so is Greg Healy at Melbourne. Yes, true, true. And Bruce Monteith in the 1980 grand final. All correct. From memory, Richmond won that. So They did. Now, look, this game, St Kilda does not mind playing Melbourne. Beat them last year in, mm. in a loss that Melbourne... St Kilda's best win in a poor year and Melbourne one of their worst losses. St Kilda... They've surprised me at MCG in the last couple of years, even last year, bad year. They run well there. Yeah. I think they're up, up, for, the, up for that sort of game. Mm. Yeah, no, they're running better. They're definitely a better running team this year. And this is a great chance for Membry and Bruce. They haven't been bad, but they haven't been pulsating. Yeah. They're normally going to play against sort of sketchy Oscar McDonald and Sam Frost. Yeah. So I'm going to tip some kids. No, it's not an unreasonable tip at all. I'd, I'd wonder if there might be a little bit of a letdown after such a good win last week. And it's, yeah. it's critical for Melbourne. You know, if Melbourne are fair income, they've got to back up. You know, what was their, their first win of the season? They simply have to win. So You know what my worry for Melbourne? Even then, their losses, Brayshaw and Clayton Oliver get 30, 35 touchdowns. So yeah. you can, they get them, and they still need to find something more. Yeah. What, what what more can they offer? A jetter and a hunt. I'm a big hunt believer. I, I think that that sort of run he offers them is, is... Well, he's not playing run. He's playing as a forward. Yeah. He's playing as a defensive forward. Yeah, well, Goody, getting back on a half-back flank. I think it's important to him for a side that lacks outside run. Um, I think Melbourne's good enough to back up what they did last week. I'm going for Melbourne, albeit narrowly. So we differ on that one. All right, Marvel Stadium, 7.25 Saturday evening. Richmond taking on 
Sydney. Now, the Swans have played at Marvel twice, have they, this year? Yeah, they have. They lost to the Bulldogs there and they beat Carlton there. Um, their record there is pretty reasonable. Richmond, uh, just a tremendous win in Adelaide last week. If that doesn't sort of uh, boy, boy, B-U-O-Y, an entire club, um, I'll eat my you-know-whats. Um, Booey. Yes. Uh, Dustin Martin comes back this week, of course, from suspension. Don't know if they'll get too many others back. Oh, Hawley is... Yeah. They're hopefully getting hauled. So they're back. two. They're two pretty good ins. Um, I, I have this feel about Richmond that they're not as good at Eddie had, but I wonder if that's based on that smashing your boys dealt out to them in the I, premiership I th- year. I think you're correct. I think their their mode of operation at the MCG, where teams when the ball's on the wing and flanks find it so hard to to break the grip that they place around the you know around the stoppages, doesn't work at Eddie had the Ball tend to squirt free more easily there, but I think, I'm, I think you're right. There. I'm I'm looking beyond that though. I I just I don't think Sydney are a very good team anymore, and I, I think Richmond are. And sometimes it's that simple. I'm going for the Tigers. If Richmond were a middle of the table team, last week's effort monumental as it was, almost superhuman given the lack of strong personnel that was out there, would be the sort of game that you could have a flat. Flat, you know, a flat week afterwards, a bit mm. of a letdown. Yeah. But, but that's the sort of form that they built and parlayed into a premiership. So They're I, better than that. I trust that that once players find that harassing good self at Richmond, they maintain it. So, sort of the opposite. I expect them to springboard from that win, which is bad news for Sydney. All right, we're both going for Richmond. Next. And remember, they do have Tom Lynch. People talk about the big four being out. Mm. Okay, Rand's not replaceable. Martin's back. And, yes, Rewalt's not there, but they won a premiership with one forward, and they've got a ripper at the moment. Who kicked six last week. Yeah. He's doing yeah. very well. Okay, Richmond for both of us. Sunday afternoon, back at the same Marvel Stadium, Western Bulldogs taking on Carlton. Intriguing this. Boy, the Blues have been copying it this week for uh, the way they lost against Gold Coast, of course, 0-4. and four. They have been in winning positions in three of those four defeats. Is that enough for them anymore? Uh, perhaps not, but it does indicate that they're not far off the mark. Bulldogs, um, yeah, I wasn't that impressed with them against Collingwood. In fact, since that opening first two wins, they've they've been pretty disappointing, I think. You know who played really well in that game that must annoy them is Roughhead. Roughhead, yeah. I think they said well, Rushhead. They just gave him away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially well. moving Norton up forward. I, I Norton! He's a good player, isn't he? How about the contested marks he ripped in that third quarter to give them a chance? Yeah. Um, I, the boys are a sneaky chance here, aren't they? They must be a sneaky chance every week. They haven't been pulverised. Norton 4 seems a, a cruel return for their efforts, but is it not a simply a, a, a sign of a team that doesn't really know how to win games? And if you're losing with a big lead against Gold Coast, then every team's going to come at you and every team's going to think they're alive. Remember, the Bulldogs were five goals down to Hawthorne at three-quarter time, so I just fear that there's not a safe... You know, there's not a a, plat- a a point where 
you know, teams can sort of reach for points during a game and they know that if they're six goals up at three-quarter time, they've got it one. But I fear Carlton don't have that safety net. No. And that's tough for a young team. Uh, they might get Cruiser back, which would be a pretty valuable in. Yeah, it would be, only because their rucks have struggled so much. Lobie and the and Phillips is injured, so he would have been a better choice. Again, same problem as I marked with Melbourne in that Walsh and Cripps are going so well that they can't do any better. Yeah. So where does the improvement come from? You can't tell me that... You, to say that Walsh and Cripps can be the way they win the game doesn't really hold water. Well, it, comes, because, it comes from guys like Mark Murphy and Dale Thomas and those players okay, pulling well, their well, fingers out. Well, I've, I've certainly backed the relentless midfield of McRae and Hunter and Liberatore and Wallace to be able to well and truly counter the Murphys and Tomeyes of this world. Tomeyes. Um, yeah, I do too. Uh, Western Bulldogs for both of us. Okay, Sunday, 4.10 local time, 4.40 Eastern Seaboard time. It's it's Tomeye, not Tomeyes. Okay. Tom, Tomas? Tom yeah, I. yeah, yeah. Uh, as in cacti. Um, yeah, Adelaide. <laughs> Which is what he is. <laughs> <laughs> we used to be with that haircut. Adelaide taking on Gold Coast. Uh, does this have much appeal? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it does. Because <laughs> you bet it does. Gold Coast, um, isn't it incredible that you'd be looking at a game, Adelaide-Gold Coast in Adelaide, and people thinking, gee, I wonder if the Suns can pinch this. I just think, I sometimes look at those games, like GWS for our Adelaide-Gold Coast, and think, gee, back in the day when I opened footy cards, I would have got a bloody shock if I pulled out an Adelaide <laughs> yeah. or a Gold Coast card. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on there? GWS Fremantle. What are they doing? Putting in... Destinations instead of football clubs. And, uh, you've got to tip Adelaide. It's, I feel I feel dirty. I, wa- <laughs> I do. I watched them last week. They stunk uh, shocking. Up, shocking. Stunk up the house, and people say, "Oh well, they're going to they should drop Walker or Jenkins." No, Walker actually tried last week. Not everything worked, mm. but he was a, he was a bit of a. a, a Focal point. There, um, were, there was something. A spearhead. There the was, other guy was a dickhead. There was something. Steady. Steady. There's something. Are you censoring me for saying uh, No, I don't know. I don't know why. It's unlike me. But he was, wasn't he, last week, Jenkins? Uh, he was ordinary. Um, he got the old McFly. Are you here? There, there's something fun. McFly. There's something funny going on with him. Like it, it's. <laughs> no. Uh, I, saw, I saw the coach was in hysterics. Yeah. No, I mean, they're looking like a side that's not just sort of having an off day. There's something I've been piked, fundamentally wrong with how they're playing. I think, uh, so, you know, if if they were to lose this one, I think, geez, it'd be absolute... All hell would break loose. It would. I, I and think you know it really the problem? Would. You know the problem? There's a general, a, general, a general feeling that the problem's not Don Pike. So what do you do when... If they we lost this game, all the if they lost this game, it's the classic coach killer. Yeah, but he actually has the respect and belief of the crowd. Yeah, it's the captain in just about every player that does it. It's it'll be a very odd dynamic if they lost it. Uh, should mention, of course, Eddie Betts' three hundredth AFL game. What a sensational player he has been at two clubs. Um, and uh, they were running a, a bit of a poll amongst interviewees this morning on. My old alma mater. Yeah. Eleven sixteen. S E N. Cyril Rioli already bets. And I think that's a really wrong choice. Oh, so yeah. I I just get tired of those endless. Yeah, but I'm saying but if you if you're gonna do it yeah. are you just picking two indigenous players? Yeah. So I ask you, Eddie Betts or Stephen Milne? That's the question. Uh yeah, I'd go Eddie. 
Okay. Just think he's a little yeah. bit more brilliant. And that's with the greatest respect to Steve Milne, who was magnificent. Yep. Sixth Indigenous player to pass um, 300 games. Have you got the other five listed? Uh, no, but Goods, O'Loughlin. Jeez, uh, how am I going? Um, we haven't got time for this. Do you Have you got them off the top of your head? No, I'm trying to think of them. Um, we'll do it later. Okay. Okay. Uh, Wanganeen didn't get there, did he? I uh, might have. Just snuck there with yeah, two clubs, might've. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm going for the Crows, but with reservations. Okay. What are you going for? I said I feel dirty. I'm going to tip oh, them. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, there's nothing nothing much. I, All right. I, I, I think the other one was... Um, the longer we go, the more um, distracted you get. Go on. I think, I think the other one, the other 300-game player was that, Eddie Hocking. Oh, very funny. Okay. Uh, no, that was three game. You, <laughs> you forgot the zeros. Whoops. Whoopsie. <laughs> uh, um, final game of the round, and what a ripper it always is. Hawthorne Geelong. Um, and unlike Colin Carlton, you don't say you know, no. The other one might be a Matera. Any chance I could complete a Did sentence? Is it Matera? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Okay. But don't now keep coming back to it. Um, I get, can I say one thing about oh, it? Oh, Jesus, hurry up. Well, when they did an Indigenous team... Of the sanctuary, yes. originally Wally and Peter and Phil Matera were happy to be in it, but Peter Matera said he wasn't indigenous. It actually took a bit of coaxing for him to uh, recognise his Aboriginality. Wasn't that the case of Barry Coble? Yes, well? yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Hawthorne Geelong. Unlike Collingwood Carlton, uh, we don't need the phrase "no matter where they are on the ladder" because these two invariably have been at the higher end of the ladder. But it is the best modern day rivalry in footy they're just invariably close to those games um uh hawks have had slightly the better of it in recent times but only just they've won six of the last 11 won both last year but narrowly uh the big if this time is injury um over hawthorne now ben stratton uh concussed last week you'd probably think doubtful james cousins Rolled an ankle, did play at the game. Connor Nash had a corky, a bad corky. Isaac Smith hurt his hand. And O'Meara was a late withdrawal as well. And James Frawley did a hamstring, and he's definitely out. So I just don't see how the Hawks can win if even two-thirds of that group of players don't play. If O'Meara doesn't play, they can't win. Uh, just uh, if they win this game, and this really is a form book out of the window type game. They've been so wonderful. They've been a bit of a gift for footy fans, haven't they? Mm. It's, a, it's I, I just think of really nice days that they're played on, nothing else on, mm. and it's like a, a grand final in April. Yeah. So I, who wins? Uh, I've got to tip Geelong because everything that you said is correct. The outs become a major factor, which is a pity because it... You know what's a pity? It disrespects Hawthorne's ability over... The short term and over the last 15 years, under Clarkson, to regenerate, to think outside the square and mm. to win difficult games. So I disrespect, it disrespects that, but because of the outside tip Geelong. Yeah, I'm going for uh, the Cats. If Hawthorne do win, we'll have to immediately stop questioning their depth. But uh, I think it'll be close because, finally, no matter how many players are injured or something like that. All right. Let's finish it up. On Footyology, the final word. All right, short and sharp. Um, it is a religious time of the year. I'm not religious, but, you know, I know 
slight on on those who are. Uh, I've changed on Good Friday football. When I was young, I used to think, yeah, we should have it. It's the most boring day of the year. And in some respects, that's true. But as you get older, kiddies, you'll find that boredom can actually be good. And I came to quite like the fact that not much at all happened on Good Friday in this mad, hectic world we live in these days. So, uh, like I said at the top of the show, you know, football... Round five spread over five days, something like 10 consecutive days of footy. I need a rest. You know, I just want to, I want to, I don't know, I want to get back to watching House of Cards or or something. I just want to break from footy for a day as much as I love it. I don't think we need footy on Good Friday. Look, of course I'm going to watch it. My team's actually playing on Good Friday, but um, I sort of miss those quiet, peaceful days in the calendar. We don't seem to have a lot of peace anymore. So that's my uh, final word. And to those who do um, uh, enjoy the, or not enjoy, but uh, not celebrate because Jesus died, didn't he? But you know what I mean. For those who are suitably uh, reverential. Come on, dig yourself a bigger hole. Yeah, I won't. Uh, Your turn. (laughs) I I feel that a lot of people are turning back to Good Friday this weekend and you don't even know why you're doing it because nominally being of the Christian faith, Mm. your religious consciousness was pricked subconsciously with the very sad burning down of the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Mm. And I think those images uh, harboured within many latent Christians feelings of uh, religious, religious return. And that's why you don't know it but you don't want Good Friday this year. Okay. I'm just explaining it. For oh, no, no, thanks for filling me in. I, I think they could have saved it had they taken Donald Trump's advice and, and used the water turned bombers. It in, turned it into a golf course. No, didn't you see his tweet? What you... He <laughs> tweeted during it. He said, uh, so sad. Uh, uh, they should try some of those water bomber things. And the French mm. fire authorities immediately tweeted in English, uh, we've got it. Donald, and um, just so you know, the water bombers would have completely destroyed the entire structure. So thanks, but no thanks. It's bad enough being at a family function where you've got a, a drunk uncle that says oh, yeah. something stupid. Imagine being a country where the drunk uncle says yeah. things on your behalf. Like the whole country. A, a drunk uncle uh, to 250 million people. Yeah, but people. It's, like, it's like, no, don't. Yeah, just uncle- don't. Don't speak. Don't speak. Uncle Trump, please. All right, now you speak. Okay, so I've changed mine. So mine is, you spoke about stats and about, you know, being informed as a football fan. Our basic, the most basic football stat, What you know, when they say, what's the most important stat in the game, Rowan? Mm. What is it? Uh, fantasy points. The, yeah. <laughs> how many unicorns you've got? Yeah. And it's, it's, how, it's the scoreboard, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, I believe it's, an act of heresy, not only to not show the scoreboard correctly on the screen, which we now have accepted, but for commentators now to constantly refer to the total points versus total points. We had two games on the weekend where teams got to 15 points the hard way. Not the hardest way, but the second hardest way. One goal, nine. Now that tells a whole different tale to two goals, three, does it not? yeah. So are you talking about the captions or... Oh, right. Well, when I'm watching the game, it's a bit easier. Yeah. But I listened to Fremantle versus West Coast. And they said 15, taking on 15. It took me, yeah, no, it took me quite a while to find out that their 15 mm. was a lot of scoring shots, a yeah. lot of opportunities. Yeah. No, it's a good point. 
It's a good point. I don't want to be told. You know, I hear it now. The final scores in AFL football. This is on Macquarie Sports. Final scores in AFL football. St Kilda, 81, had a good win over Gold Coast, 80. 42 versus 59. Mm. And then, then they, you know, 193. No, sorry. Sorry. That's incorrect. That is the, uh, one, you know, it's 1910. They just thought, 1,910. <laughs> that can't be right. <laughs> oh, oh, well, 1,900. You know, they're just hopeless. All right. It's not a number. It's goals and points. Okay. No, very good. Uh, all right. We're done here. Um, have a great, uh, seriously, have a great Easter, everyone. Thanks for your and continued pa- and support. And Passover, Passover, if you, if you are a Red Sea pedestrian. And you could, uh, well, not celebrate, but mark the occasion by going to Andrew's Hamburgers and availing yourself of a lovely hamburger. Do we know when they're open over Easter? They are open over the main days, not Good Friday, I believe. 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. If you are a Red Sea pedestrian, if you, if you can't because you're not allowed to eat bread for the next eight days. So I, I do. I, I don't know any of this stuff. Unleavened bread or the matzo is eaten. I, I do not observe that. I eat, well, I eat bacon and, and Stuff so it, it, it would be matzo, isn't it? Yeah, you know the first. This is true. The first time I ever heard that word matzo, yep. Yep. it was watching Woody Allen's "Take the Money and Run," yeah, of course. where he's yeah. in prison yeah. and to get an early parole, he submits himself to uh, to be injected with a serum and becomes a rabbi. Which is successful on un- Passover. <laughs> we take the matzo <laughs> bread. Right. He temporarily turns into a rabbi. Yeah. That's the first time I heard it. And I raised the ire at my at a previous workplace where I worked for a Jewish employer by bringing in, because I actually like matzo and ham sandwiches. And he said, there's no use bringing in matzo if you fill it up with ham. I said, mate, it's September. It's seven months. You know, (laughs) it's nowhere near Passover anyhow, pal. Uh, All right. Thanks for your company. Enjoy the footy. And uh, don't forget, oh, very important, uh, of course, always visit footyology.com.au. But our wrap-up uh, this week will be on Monday night. Yes, just getting the royal assent from Carl Bianco. Uh, yes, we'll be going Monday up, night. Monday night That's after taco the... taco night at the final. Uh, well, you'll just have to delay those tacos. After the Geelong Hawthorne game, full wrap-up of round five. And uh, we were talking about Woody Allen and rabbis and whatever. So uh, we'll leave you with this. With parole as inducement, Virgil submits to the vaccine test. It is a success, except for one temporary side effect. For several hours, he is turned into a rabbi. And so, the reason we celebrate the Passover holidays by eating matzoth is to commemorate the time that Moses led the children of Israel from Egypt. (laughs) 